We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 11. We're going to take the second half of Ephesians. And I want to show you in the book of Ephesians that, that basically the book of Ephesians shows us that there's two major problems in the world. The first problem is God is separated from man. And the second problem is that God, that man is separated from each other. Two major problems that the book of Ephesians addresses. God, man's separation from God and man's separation with other men. Okay? And so that's what we're going to address this morning. The book of Ephesians comes at it head first. Chapter 2, the first half, actually takes care of man's separation from God. But the second half deals with man's separation from men. You can call it racism, you can call it prejudice, you can call it whatever you want to call it, but it, there's a division, there's a dividing wall that's going on, and we're going to tackle that this morning. So let me set up the book of Ephesians at this time that it's being written so that you can better understand what, what Paul's saying. In, the, in, 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 in Ephesus in this time, and even throughout the world in those days, there was extreme racism going on. What you had was you had two people groups, you had the Jews and you had the Gentiles. The Jews were God's chosen people, okay? And, and they, they, had the, they typically had the attitude of grandma's favorite kid. Anybody ever been grandma's favorite? Right? And you got a little attitude, right? You, you mean, you walk with your chest poked up. And, you, and you, you all listen to bag of chips because you're grandma's favorite. Well, that's what kind of the attitude that the Jews had was that they were, they were above everybody else because they were God's chosen people. And then you had the Gentiles who were not God's chosen people. And so there, were the, there was extreme racism going on. It was violent. It was aggressive. Uh, there was a lot of things that took place. If a Jew accidentally rubbed up against a Gentile, they, they, they believed that they were now un, unclean. And they had to do some kind of a ceremony to cleanse, to cleanse themselves. You follow me? Extreme, extreme prejudice. If a Jew married a Gentile, the Gentile's parents would pray for their child and would actually throw a funeral for them. Because their child was now dead to them because they married a Gentile. Extreme prejudice, extreme racism. There was actually, get this now, I'll, I'll bring it into the church house. There was, there was prejudice in the church house. There was a wall in the temple, and the Gentiles had to worship on this side, and the Jews got to worship on that side. But they couldn't co-mingle, even in the house of God. Sound familiar? Does it sound like today? So much animosity, so much hatred, so much violence between these two groups in the Bible. Yet Paul addresses it in his letter and he tells them exactly what Christ has done to bring all that back together. And that's what I hope to do this morning. So chapter 2 verse 11 says this and verse 12. It says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were, ex you were excluded from God's people, Israel, and you did not know the promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. 
I'm going to step out on a limb this morning and tell you that we don't have a skin issue. We got a sin issue. How do you know that, Pastor? Because I'm on Facebook. The last week I've read things on Facebook. I've, I've, I've actually, I don't normally go into comments and listen to what people say because I usually don't care. Because um, it's just all opinions. And I got my own opinion. That's enough for me. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but I, I started reading comments. And what I've seen this week was I've seen, I've seen some white people say some extremely stupid things. And I've seen some black people say some extremely stupid things. I've seen some black people say some extremely wise things. And I've seen some white people say some extremely wise things. There was a video. I think I actually shared the video. It was a, it was a black country singer. And he did a video on how to be pulled over by the police. I thought it was a great video. I, I mean, I took it for myself. I mean, because you never know. If I reach for something, I could get shot. Right? So, I mean, so, <laughs> and he went through this whole great video. So I went back to it after I shared it a couple days later and I started reading the comments and there were ignorant people that were putting him down for sharing a video on how to get along with everybody. Oh man, what the heck? What the heck's going on? And so Paul is saying to the church in this, in this time that, that you're divided, you're apart from God. The issue is not your skin. The issue is not your nationality. The issue is that you're apart from God. Amen. You see, we got a believer-non-believer problem. Yes. Come on, somebody. It's not a skin color issue. We had a prayer thing Friday night at, at City Hall, and it was, it was a good time. And, and the pastor from Word Church got up, Caleb, and he, he shared something. And it was something I'd heard before, but I'd forgotten. The only thing that separates a white man from a black man is this one little pigment or this one little chemical or thing in your body that's called melanin. And then melanin determines whether you're going to be black or white. That is the only difference between us. Are you hearing this? It's a simple chemical. That makes one person darker than the other. And we're, we're, we're at a, almost at a world, world war because of that thing. So what's the solution to the problem? How did Christ fix the problem in Ephesians? Because I believe if we read the scriptures and we, and we figure out how Christ fixed the problem in Ephesians, he's going to fix it the same way today. He can fix the problem. And let me tell you something. If you're waiting on the government to fix the problem, you're going to be waiting for a long time because they ain't fixed it yet and they ain't going to fix it. They can't fix it. You can't throw money at a sin problem. You can't get highfalutin officials to come and fix a sin problem. You can't do it. It's not going to happen. How did God heal our land the first time? Through people. Martin Luther King. God used a man to heal the land, not the government. Right? Let's continue in Ephesians. Verse 13. It says this. It says, but now you have been made, you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him because of the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has made peace between us Jews and you Gentiles by making us all one people. 
He has broken down the wall of hostility that used to separate us. Who did it? Christ did it. How did he do it? By his blood. What did his blood do? It broke down the walls between us. Same way with salvation. When you give your life to Jesus and you make him the Lord of your life, because of what he did on the cross, you are no longer bound to sin anymore. The power of sin and death has been broken over your life. In other words, he took the cuffs off of you that kept you sinning. Listen to me. The same way he did that and you're now no longer under that power anymore because it's been broken in your life. Doesn't mean you can't sin. It's just now when you sin, you choose to. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching good this morning. The same way he broke down the walls between us, he broke the walls of division between us and we don't have to live divided anymore. There's no power that makes us live divided other than the choices that we make ourselves. Amen? Because of what Christ did. He's the one that did it. He broke it. He did what we couldn't do by his blood. I'm telling you, the longer I'm I'm a believer and I follow Christ, the more I I figure out, man, his blood is powerful. The more I realize, man, what he did on the cross was extreme. The longer I go, the more I realize that his his victory in the grave and his resurrection has power. I haven't found the end of it yet. And I suspect I probably won't. A lot of crazy things going on in the book of Ephesians in that time. And, and Paul stands up and he preaches a message that it's not, a, it's not a nationality issue. It's a heart issue. But there's a solution. Our country is full of walls right now. Full of walls. There's racial walls. There's status walls. One of the greatest walls in our country today is political walls. Just turn the TV on and watch, watch Fox News and then go watch one of the other channels and see, see who's, whose side they're on. And, and, and all you hear is that side did this and, that, and it's becoming more violent, more violent and more violent and more dishonoring. Listen to me. I know it's hard to honor our president right now. And I struggle daily to honor our president. But when I go back to what the word of God says. He says, I need to pray for him. I need to pray for the people around him. In other words, God put some responsibility on me on how the president's acting because God can change him through my prayer. Right. And I need to honor him with that. I need to stop putting him down and I need to start lifting him up. Come on, somebody, whether I like him or not. Because I'm going to be held accountable to what this says. Not what Sean Hannity says. So let me show you what Christ has done. Number one, because of Christ, we have peace. Because of Christ, we have peace. Ephesians 2, 14 and 15, it says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Christ did that. He brought peace. 
into a volatile situation, into a violent situation. He brought peace. He brought the two groups together through his death. And I'm going to say to you this morning that we're going to have to learn how to die. In the days coming, the church is going to have to learn how to die. What you mean, Pastor? You got to learn how to die to yourself and die to your opinion. Today, we need to die to our opinion. Opinions never settle anything. They just state where everybody stands. We got to learn how to die to ourself. When somebody does us wrong, die to yourself. I'm preaching to me this morning. Die to myself. More and more as the day's approaching. So because of what Christ has done, we can have peace. The solution to war, terrorism, racism, and violent crime is Jesus. It's not anything else but Jesus. It's the gospel. It's his people on this planet. And I'm going to tell you today, we got a solution already in hand. God's already given us the solution. He already knew this was coming. So he already spoke to it way back when in his word. And I'm going to tell you today, <laughs> you got to be a, a believer in the word of God. You need to be reading your Bible more than ever before. Come on, somebody. You need to be a person, a believer, a follower of Jesus in the word of God. You got to be there. You got to know what this says because one day they may take it away. But if it's hidden inside your heart, they can't take that away. Right. And if you know what it says, you know how to react when things happen in front of you. Amen. When you know what it says, you recognize the voice that's leading you. But when you don't know what the word of God says, I wonder who's leading you. Whose voice are you listening to? So because of Christ, number one, we have peace because of Christ. Number two, we are made one. The beautiful thing about marriage, but also one of the hardest things to realize is that when Cheryl and I, before God and man said, I do, and we surrendered all rights of individualism, and we said, we're going to join in this thing together. When we made that covenant, we don't make a contract. We made a covenant before God because you can break a contract. You can't break a covenant. We made a covenant before God that we're going to stay together. We're going to do our best for one another. When we did that, God took the two individuals And he brought them together and he made them one. And one of the great secrets of marriage is when you realize that you're one and you're not individuals anymore. Because when you stay individuals, you stay selfish. But when you realize that God brought the two together and we're now one, selfishness has to leave the building. The thing that dies the most in marriage is selfishness. Can I get a better amen? Amen. That's the thing that dies. There's a lot of preachers that don't like to do premarital counseling. People say, Pastor, would you give us premarital counseling? He said, yeah, learn how to die to yourself. Hey, everything's going to be fine. Just learn how to die. Isn't that true? He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Christ did that. Galatians 3.28 says this. It says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all Christians. You are now now one in Christ Jesus. 
You know what I wonder the most is I wonder how God sees us. That's one of the great questions I want answered is God. How do you really see us as a group, as the body of Christ? How do you see us? Do you see color? One of my questions, do you see hair? Yeah, because he said he, he counted all the hairs. I just made it easy for him. But I wonder often how God sees us. Because I think when we can better understand how he sees us, then we can better understand how he talks to us. You, you got to get this one because you see God's dealing with us from his own perspective, not from our own perspective. You see, we deal with each other by what we see in our own perspective. And a lot of times that's wrong. But God sees us from his own perspective. I wonder how he sees us. You ever wonder those kinds of things? You start wondering. The Bible says he doesn't see us as Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. We're all, we're all one in Christ. So because of Jesus, we have peace. Because of Jesus, we are made one. Number three, because of Jesus, we're reconciled. We are reconciled. What does that mean, Pastor? That's a big word. Reconciled. That means we're brought back into the place that we belong. It's kind of like being brought back home when you were lost. You've been reconciled. Anybody ever got lost as a kid in Walmart or whatever your store was back in your day? About four of y'all. Love to hear that story someday, not today. But thank God you were reconciled, right? Verse 16 says this together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death and our hostility toward each other was what put to death. So, you know, what that tells me that tells me that Christ has already put to death hostility. He's already dealt with hostility. If we choose to be hostile, it's our own choice, but we don't have to be that way anymore. I'm not bound to be that way anymore. I'm, I am under control now because Christ broke the power of that over my life. Are you getting this? I don't have to be that way anymore. I can make a stand and say, nope, I'm not going to say that. Nope, I'm not going to respond that way. Nope, I'm not going to think I'm better than anybody else. Are you hearing me? Because of what Christ has done. So, so if you, if you look at this in Ephesians, you go, Christ already dealt with this. So, so when you read your Bible and things like this start to happen in our world, you can have assurance and confidence and, and, and cast fear out because you already know that Christ has already dealt with it. We're not going to see anything that he hasn't already dealt with. That was good. I didn't get it. It came to me. It just, just boom. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, but I'll say it again. No, there's not anything that's going to ever happen to us that he hasn't already dealt with it. That he hasn't, he hasn't already created a solution or, or that he's, he's not even there. He's already there. The problem we have is that the, the, the media doesn't, doesn't show you the good that's coming out of all this. They only show you the bad part. They don't show you what's happening. 
You know, you, you see the negative parts and it's all over the place. Well, there's a group of people that's going out and their mission is to hug cops. I'm like, that's great if you like to be hugged. I'd be cool with a handshake. Like, Thanks, man. I'm just, I'm not a hugger. But, but you know, it's, it's great, but you don't see them pushing that, right? They're only pushing the negative side. But listen to me, God's aware of the good that's coming out of this. And we got to stand on that. And we got to believe that God is in the middle of all this. Notice what Christ did to reverse our condition. Or even the, the, the conditions of, of the, the Jews and the Gentiles. He made things. He broke down things. He abolished things. He created things. He reconciled and he killed. To bring us back together. Christ did what it took to bring us back together. In other words, he had the attitude of, at all costs, I'm going to bring you back together. Amen? So Ephesians 2, 17 to 22 says this. He has brought the good news of this peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and to us Jews who were near. Now all of us, both Jews and Gentiles, may come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. In other words, everybody has access to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Are you getting this? Everybody, rich, poor, black, white, brown, yellow, it doesn't matter. We all have access to Jesus. And if you're not connected to Jesus, it's your own fault. Verse 19, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all of God's holy people. You're members of God's family. We are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We who believe are carefully joined together, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. All of us together. Let me tell you something. God gets excited about unity. He gets excited about unity. He loves it. When people come together that don't belong together, he gets excited. I mean, if Jesus took time in his ministry to deal with racism, then it's very important to him, right? And he gets excited when we get united. Come on, somebody. Y'all got me up here rhyming. If I had somebody could just beatbox, I mean, I might would start rapping, but not good. Verse 20, verse 21 for we who, we who believe are carefully joined together, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Verse 22, through him, you Gentiles are also joined together as part of his dwelling where God lives by his spirit. That means that everybody has access to God. Everybody has access to the promises of God. Everybody, you see, the Jews believed that they were God's children and that God's promises only belonged to him. And that was the case until now in scripture. When Christ died on the cross, he brought it for everybody. Imagine how the Jews felt. We were now, we were once his chosen people and we had all these things that he had for us. We were his inheritance. We were going to get all this stuff. And now all of a sudden he's giving it to another people group that we don't even like. Imagine what the Jews felt like. Imagine what the Gentiles felt like. Excited and nervous at the same time. Right? 
We all have access to God and his promises. So let me make this very practical this morning, and then I'm going to wrap it up. I just want to make it practical. What do we do now? We see that God himself, through Jesus, dealt with the Jew-Gentile issue in the, in the day of the Bible, right? And, and so that, that gives us hope that he can deal with it today in our time, right? I'm going to shake your head, or else I'm going to keep preaching. They'll look at you, you sorry suckers. Shake your head. I ain't going long. I'm going to let y'all out early. I'm going to beat the Baptist to the, to the lunch table. How you know that, Pastor? Because I was Baptist. I'm going to stop right there. How do we overcome racism? Number one, remove passivity. Be intentional. I'm going to get real vulnerable with you right now. And I'm going to tell you how I've been in my life at different times when it comes to racism. At one point in my life, I I, I grew up with, with black kids. I grew up, some of my best friends were black kids. Played football with them. Hung out after school with them. Everything was good. We were all fine. I'd sleep at their house. They'd come sleep at my house. No problem. But when it came to the bigger issue of the world or the United States and the race issue, I had, a, I had a bad attitude towards the whole thing. Because I believed in what God used Martin Luther King to do. And I believed that God did a work through Martin Luther King and he brought together what no other person could do. He brought together the black and the white man. And so what I started to see and what I started, what started to, to build up inside of me was that, okay, Mr. Black Man, you now have rights. Have fun. Go about doing your thing. Nobody's holding you back anymore. That was my attitude. I took a very passive attitude like, do your thing. You wanted the freedom, you got it. Now, now what you going to do with it? Some of you may have felt the same way. But you know what I realized? There was a very passive attitude towards the whole thing. Because you're talking about a people group that was oppressed, legitimately oppressed. And they were given freedom. And the white man, in most cases, was mad because the black man was given freedom. And so some of us who were, who were wise enough not to say anything, we just took a passive role and said, well, then do what you got to do. And it was like this. Let's see what you do with what you got. And that was my attitude for years. Until I realized that that attitude's not bringing healing. That attitude's not making anything better. So what if I just backed off? I thought I was okay because I didn't, number one, say nothing stupid. I learned how to keep my mouth shut. Number two, I didn't do anything stupid. I didn't go start nothing. Right? I just took a very neutral, passive approach. When I read Ephesians, you know what I hear Paul saying? Hey, you Gentiles, let me help you out with this whole Jesus thing. Hey, you Gentiles, let me give you some wisdom. Hey, you Gentiles, is there anything I can do to help you? And even, hey, you Jews, can I help you come through this? That's a non-passive approach. Are you seeing, are you seeing this? That's an intentional approach. My heart issue and the thing that I think I was wrong, and this is my opinion, the thing I think that I was wrong in is that I became passive. 
And there's too many white people being too quiet, just like there's too many black people being too quiet. There's nothing I love more than to see an older black man stand up and give some wisdom to his to his people. And then and then for another man to stand up and give wisdom to their people and say, hey, look, you need to stop acting stupid and they won't act stupid. And you stop acting stupid and they won't act stupid. That makes me proud. That's what we need more of. That's what the church needs to do. We need to stop standing silently in a passive position and we need to be intentional about bringing healing into this land. I've had to repent of that. I've had to ask God to help me and show me. And to help me overcome. So the first thing we've got to do is we've got to remove passivity and be intentional. And I'm not just talking about black and white. I'm talking about social status too. Number two, we need to recognize and repent of our sins of prejudice. Look at me. I want, you to see, I want you to see me when I say this. There's not a single person in this room that has not been prejudiced one time or another. Not one of you has not been re- prejudiced at one time or another. We all need to repent for our prejudice. Number three, you may need to repair any damage that you've done. <laughs> I've read some of your posts. I've read some of your comments. Just saying. Some of you need to do a little damage control. You know what's crazy? If if I don't get this right in my own life, this passivity that I was walking in, it's going to eventually trickle into my kid's life. And then they're going to take upon my attitude and they're they're not going to say nothing stupid. They're not going to do nothing stupid. They're going to get along with people that that they like. But there's going to be this passivity in their heart that doesn't bring healing. It just leaves everything where it's at. If I'm not careful, you may need to repent to your children for things that you've said over the last couple of weeks. Some of you may need to repent on Facebook. I'm sorry for being an idiot and saying something stupid. Be my suggestion. Boy, y'all quiet this morning. I must be right on point, man. I tell you what, just get a good punch in the nose this morning. Number four, how do we overcome racism? Be the solution. Be the solution. Don't be neutral. Be the solution. God saved you, sanctified you. Filled you with his life and his Holy Spirit, not to see here and be a bump on the log. He did all that for you to bring healing to this land. You know, one of the things I've been hearing people quote, one of the scriptures that they've been quoting, and it's, it's a great verse. And it says that if my people will pray, I will hear from them and I will heal the land. Right? So people are posting it. Man, they're praying it. I went to the prayer thing and somebody somebody. Threw that scripture out. A couple people threw that scripture out. And I go, man, that's a great scripture, man. Great. Yeah, he'll heal our land if we pray. Awesome. Wow. How's he going to do that? How's he going to heal the land? Is God going to come and go, a little pixie dust? Ring. He can. He can heal it. He can change it with a word. You want me to tell you what I believe? I believe he's going to use you and me 
to heal this land. And I believe he already told us that. Watch this. Mark chapter 12, verse 29 and 31. You got to see this. Jesus already dealt with this issue over 2000 years ago. Mark 12, 29 and 31. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. So he's making a statement. He even says after they says, listen. So Jesus is standing in a crowd of people. He said, this is the most important commandment. Now, listen, you see that you see the attitude. I'm not fussing at you. You, you. Okay. He says, now listen, this is the greatest commandment. When the Bible says to listen, you need to listen. The Lord, our God is the only is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord, your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. The greatest commandment right there. In fact, Jesus said, I I put, I summed up all the 10 commandments or all the other commandments in this one commandment. And it's to love God with everything you got. He says, he makes the statement. This is the greatest. If Jesus says, this is the greatest. It's the greatest. Watch this one. The second You need to underline the next word is equally important. It's equally important. So the second is also the greatest commandment. Are you getting this? Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Jesus summed it up. He fixed the problem with five words. Love your neighbor as yourself. How is God going to heal our land through every one of us that calls ourselves a Christian? Every one of us that calls ourselves a believer or a follower of Christ. And I believe we will be held accountable for how well we helped heal the land because he already said what we need to do. He didn't make it a mystery. He announced it, made it very clear. This is the greatest Love your neighbor as yourself. Five words that'll change this world. Five words that'll turn this world around. You want to shake your neighborhood? Love your neighbor as yourself. You want to change the environment at your work? Love your coworker as yourself. You want to change the gym you work out in? Love the bodybuilder as yourself. Are you getting this? How's God going to heal this? How's he going to turn it around? Through us. Loving our neighbor as ourself. Whether we think they deserve it or not. It's not up to us whether or not somebody deserves the love of Jesus. Jesus decides who who deserves the love of Jesus. Are you hearing me? I'm not the judge and the jury. He is. It's not my job to judge. I wasn't even created to be a judge. I was created to be an ambassador for Christ. His representation on this planet. I'm not going to be silent. I'm not going to be quiet. I'm going to be intentional. And I'm going to go forward and I'm going to intentionally try to bring unity between God's people. And it ain't just going out trying to find all the black people I can to make them believers in Jesus. It's going to find out every lost person you can and make them a believer in Jesus. 
Amen. It's even going to find a police officer and make him a believer in Jesus. Because as great as police officers are, and I respect them to the hilt, not all of them are believers in Jesus. That's how God's going to heal the land. That's how we overcome racism. We remove passivity. We recognize and repent of our sins of prejudice. We repair any damage that we may have caused. You can't fix what was done, but you can fix what continues to be done. Sometimes you just need to say you're sorry so the damage quits. And the damage stops. And then the last thing is to be the solution. As the worship team comes up and I get ready to end this message, I want to I want to give you one last verse because I believe this is important. In fact, I want to go all the way to the back of the book of the Bible. I want to go all the way to the book of Revelations, the story of what it's going to be like. Because you see, it's one thing to hear about what we need to do now. It's one thing to hear about what's going to happen. But it's another thing to know how it's going to be when we get there. And the reason I'm sharing this verse with you is because I want you to have a greater vision of what it's going to be like when Jesus returns. I want you to see this. Revelations chapter 7, verse 9 to 10. Listen to these words. After this, I saw a vast crowd. Too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the lamb. They were clothed in white and held palm branches in their hands and they were shouting with a mighty shout. Salvation comes from our God on the throne and from the lamb. Can you see this? When Jesus returns and we all get brought back into the place that we belong, we're going to be standing there united from every nationality, every tribe, every language, all the things that there's going to be people there that you didn't even like when you were on the planet. And we're going to be clothed in white, holding palm branches, worshiping God. You need to have a greater vision to, to have something to live for. We're going to be together in eternity. We just need to learn how to get together now. Come on, somebody. We need to learn how to worship together now. Because we're going to spend eternity doing it. I want you to stand up with me this morning. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us. So I told you I was going to choose sides this morning. I'm choosing God's side. And that's not just a bold statement. That statement actually means this. that If I'm choosing God's side, that means I'm choosing to do what his word says to do. I'm choosing to live like Jesus lived. I'm choosing to, to be led by his spirit. I'm choosing to lay down my life for other people. The Bible says no greater love than this than for one man to lay down his life for another. I'm choosing God's side. I'm choosing everything that's about God's side. Amen.